Welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Jacob Sheckman and you're listening to our show, What To Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What To Be is a program provided by Your Future Is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future Is Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. All right, and today I am joined by my guest, Tim Piamarta. Thanks so much for being here, Tim. I appreciate it. It's nice to be here. All right. And Tim is here to talk to us about his career journey, leading him to be the Director of Innovations with NHS Inc. Santa Cruz Skateboards. Now, first of all, to me that just sounds awesome. What what does that even mean, I think, is where we'll start in terms of uh, what does it mean to be Director of Innovations? And, and please, please tell us how you found yourself in this role. Well, let's start out with what Director of Innovation is. Director of Innovation is kind of a new title because for about uh, 30 years, I was the Director of Research and Development. Uh, and you can also think of that as just engineering. And since NHS is the parent company to Santa Cruz Skateboards, Independent Trucks, Crux Trucks, uh, the Grip Tape, and all the other brands that we do, um, the engineering side of it is uh, you have to figure out how to make it. And so director of research and development was researching and developing products to get them to market. Director of innovation came later because um, I had pretty much innovated or pretty much engineered everything there is to do with the skateboard. And we really needed to focus on innovative new products that are still skateboards. And so my title changed because we needed to really have a focus on innovation in, in everything there is, every aspect of a skateboard. Um, to answer your second question is how did I even get into this? Back in 1974, um, I literally fell on my head to get a job at NHS. I was a um, just a recreational skateboarder riding homemade boards that I used to make in my garage. And I think I was 15 at the time and uh, was skateboarding out at the ditch along Highway 1 over by Rio Del Mar. And I fell on my head so badly and wiped out, no helmet at the time, wiped out all half, one half of my face, uh, ripped up my face, broke my nose, um, damaged my teeth. So um, after I healed, I went back to skateboarding and I had a helmet on. And two gentlemen who owned NHS, this brand new company, NHS at the time, um, were uh, asking uh, local riders to test their road rider wheels. and. They picked me because I was the only kid out of the group who had a helmet on and their philosophy was, take that kid, he's got a helmet on, if he falls down riding our products, he won't die and his parents won't sue us. (laughs) And I swear it's true, I checked with Richard Novak, the owner, that's really how they felt. I don't know if I was much better than anyone else that day, but they they saw me and they they picked me and offered me the first set of um, this new idea called Road Rider Wheels, um, and that began my career. So what what happened next? Well, this is this is perfect to to go into the background here. So what, if that was the beginning of your career there. Yeah, I, I was probably a sophomore in high school. Um, 
Yeah, sophomore in high school. And uh, you know, I was doing all the normal sports, but I got so ex- so into skateboarding that uh, I quit everything else. And I just became very, very serious about riding and, and um, making skateboards. Um, so, you know, my dad had a shopsmith saw and band saw and, and things in, in the garage. And I started making composite skateboards out of plywood and fiberglass and, and polyester resin and was riding those around. I happened to be riding one of those homemade boards at the time that NHS's owners found me. And the fun, the backstory to that is um, at, at 15, I, I would go into um, O'Neill's and buy fiberglass. And I would go to uh, the Santa Cruz surf shop, which was down at the hook at the time in Santa Cruz on 41st Avenue. And I would buy polyester resin from two guys whose, whose company was called NHS. So I was buying NHS products um, to make my very first skateboards at the age of 15. And I was using NHS products. How, how popular was skateboarding in this time? And how did you find yourself getting into that sport? It was so much fun to do. I mean, I used to uh, surf. Um, I, I lived, you know, down in Rio Del Mar and grew up on the beach surfing and body surfing. And when there were, wasn't any waves, you'd go ride a skateboard. And during that time, skateboards were um, pretty rudimentary. You know, we had clay composite wheels that you would use it on an old roller rink um, yeah. hardwood floor and we were using those to ride on asphalt and they were um they were horrible and the, the boards were like five inches wide it was just bad so um i got into i really got into riding I, I, you know how much fun is it to you know push and go down a hill and not have to push anymore and and just glide i mean that's just a natural fun thing to do and so i i recognized early on that skateboarding really the the product was terrible and what could I do and I started um you know making skateboards uh, on my own uh you still had to use the lousy trucks and wheels um but the deck itself um I was already innovating I was one of the lucky few of my generation and I'm 61 years old now but I was one of the lucky few at that age I knew exactly what I wanted to do um, I wanted to make skateboards uh, as a career, and I wanted to make them better, faster, stronger, and last longer. And I and I look around at my friends during the time, and they didn't know what they wanted to do. So I consider myself very lucky. Yeah. How did you How did you learn to to use all the tools? You, you mentioned that the, your dad had the, these yeah. woodshop tools, and so you just at what point did you? I don't know. To, to me, that just my, seems so incredibly advanced, right? You're putting composite materials together. I will credit everything to, um, I went to Aptos Junior High School, and I will credit all of my woodworking skills and innovative ideas to a guy named Bob Miriam, who recently passed away. He was a wood shop teacher at um, Aptos Junior High. And not only did he teach us how to make things out of wood, I mean, think about this now, and it's pretty maverick. Um, He used to let us build skateboards for grades. And then at at the end of the semester, he'd hold a skateboard contest at the school. (laughs) And anyone who made a skateboard could compete in this contest. And that 
I was in the eighth grade. I mean, how much more do you need to get hooked than making your own skateboards under the um, guidance of a, a great woodworker and then going out and, and winning the uh, contest, of course. Um, and that just got me hooked on, on both. Absolutely amazing. So I'd like to say it was my dad, but it wasn't. It was my junior high school woodshop teacher. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, let's let's talk about your your progression uh, along this career. After you tested out those wheels, you 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 met the two gentlemen with NHS, and so what what was your your first role with the company? Oh, you're a genius. Great question. Um, uh, I was a amateur uh, skateboarder who was promoting those wheels and eventually Santa Cruz skateboards. I had formed a team called the Santa Cruz skateboard team, a local team. And we would go around the, uh, the Western United States doing demos and showing how fun skateboarding could be. I mean, they, you know, five people or 500 people would show up usually at shopping centers. And the whole point was, to showcase how skateboarding is a healthy, fun activity and, you know, should not be made illegal in every town in the United States, which is where the path was going. So we would do uh, demos and I, I ran this team. Well, that was all for free. And finally, I had the courage to walk up to Richard Novak, who was the owner of NHS. And I said, hey, can I have a job? And he looked at me and said, Timmy, Nope. Um, we have too many floor sweepers already. And I was just devastated. But like any good, you know, 16, 17 year old, I ran to his business partner, Jay, and said, <laughs> Jay, can I have a job? <laughs> and Jay said, sure. Um, much to the dismay of um, Richard. And I said, great, Jay, what's, what's my first job? I'll do anything. And he goes, he hands me a cutoff broom handle wooden broom handle. And he points to a table and he says, see all those road rider wheels. You have to stuff two bearings into each wheel. <clears throat> I said, great, I'll do that. Well, that year we did over 6 million wheels. Oh my God. And I had to stuff 12 million bearings into 6 million wheels that summer and winter. So that was my first introduction. And I guess what I, you know, my advice is when opportunity comes crawling, you know, up your door step, take it, take it, take it. Don't go, I don't want to do that. Um, if you are being offered an, a, a foot in the door of something that you really love, it doesn't matter what they offer you. Um, it could be the dirtiest job ever, but take it. So that was my first job, stuffing bearings and then, um, you know, stocking shelves and then finally graduating to putting product in boxes and shipping it out. I learned how to operate the UPS machine and work with FedEx and then eventually got into um, sales and design and silk screening. And I like to say there are probably a thousand jobs at NHS and a skateboard company. I've done probably 999 of those jobs. Um, mostly well, because that's how I advanced. But the one thing they never let me do is um, work in finance and count the money. I'm really good with making skateboards, but don't let me de deal in accounting. I'll let, <laughs> I'll let the pros do that. Yeah, it's, I guess, uh, safer for the finances there. I spend money really well. 
but the rest of it, no. Um, so, but there are so many, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's so many jobs and my, my career path went from bearing stuffer to silk screener and, and, you know, another opportunity raised itself and it, instead of shying away and saying, oh, I can't do that. I just had the courage to go, okay, I'm up. It's my turn. Let's go. And I was only 20 at the time, which is a lot of, you know, at that age of our listeners who are, who are watching or listening to the podcast, opportunity might tap them on the shoulder. And all I can say is say yes to it. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Jacob Sheckman, and today we're speaking with Tim Piamarta and learning about his career journey to becoming the Director of Innovations at NHS Inc. Santa Cruz Skateboards. How has your job transformed since you said you, you it was about 1980 when you sort of stepped into the shoes that you're in now? How have your responsibilities changed, if at all, in that time. You mentioned earlier you sort of went from, you had gone through all of the engineering of, of designing a skateboard and it, something had to change. So what, what were these changes like over the past 30 years or so? Got an interesting question. If you're asking about the actual skateboard itself or are you, are you asking about the job? I'm asking about the job, but I admit I am also very curious about the skateboard. So maybe let's let's start with the job because that's that's the focus of this podcast. Yeah, the job just grew. Although I have to admit, um, at at HS, I started out when it comes to designing skateboards and engineering them and, and doing the R and D on them. I was always kind of a one man show. And even though we we grew, I think in 1990 we got to about 100 employees at our old uh, facility in. Soquel. And I still kind of ran um, the R&D department with one person, me. We did actually have a wood shop, which we employed about 30 people, um, right in Soquel, where we were making skateboards there. But my role at that time was to also manage, set up and manage skateboard factories in Wisconsin. So we had four of them there. Why Wisconsin? Because yeah. that's the only place you can get the tree. Oh wow! The, what what the kind tree of tree we use? It's um it's a sugar maple, Acerosaccharum, and it's really the only decent material on the planet. And believe me, I've I've traveled the planet looking for alternative species. There's none better than sugar maple, and it comes from the Great Lakes region, either in Canada, Wisconsin, or the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. That's it. Um, where the winters are long and incredibly cold and the summers are short for growing. So you get these really dense rings of um, amazing material called maple. And when you make them, uh, peel them into little plies and put them together in skateboard, you get something that even the composites people say, why are you trying to make something out of composites? There's nothing better than maple. Wow. But back to back to the job, I was managing, I was doing so much with, in essence, a small company. I had about 16 balls in the air. In 1981, not only was I designing and making the skateboards and, and running around to factories around the United States, but I was also managing the team and also 
beginning to build a, a silk screening facility at NHS where I actually hired people to do this. And skateboarding in the 1980s really took off like a rocket ship. And so we started hiring you know, real good people out of, uh, out of university to run. You know, Bob Denike is our CEO, but we, we hired him to basically do what I couldn't do. I had too many balls in there. And so he, he really took the reins of the company and, and managed it really, really well. Uh, sales, marketing, and operations. So that freed me up um, during that time to uh, just really over the 80s, really focus on on product development and innovation. And really, it hasn't changed much, except I would say in the last 15 years, I've started hiring teams of people. So I've got a a group of four or five people now. And it's really cool because at my age, I I really need to start handing off all of my responsibility, teaching people what I do. And I've got this great team and department. Uh, and so one guy is learning uh, CAD engineering, how to design skateboards, skateboard molds, wheels, trucks. In fact, uh, this gentleman's becoming what I call Mr. Truck because trucks are so hard to do in computer-aided engineering software. Interesting. And he's become so good at it. I just have to sit back and go, this is what I could hope for. Pe- hiring people who are smarter than me, smarter than I am, and teaching them everything I know, and then watching them grow and grow in their skills in ways that um, I couldn't even imagine. And then so the job has changed from doing it all to now teaching people everything I know. That's, that's, that's awesome that you've gone through this transition now and you're in this, this teaching phase. Well, so if the world is, is normal and open and regular, I wanted to get an, an idea of what it's like to, to, to show up to work in, in, on a normal day for you, right? And where, where even is there an office that you show up or a manufacturing building? What is it like in a, a normal open world where you can interact with people regularly? What is your uh, a, a typical routine? I'll tell you, I've, I've got a 45-year career going. And I like to tell students especially that, I don't know, do the math of how many days, thousands of days I have walked in the front door of NHS and I don't go, oh no. I say, oh boy, what are we going to learn today? And that's been the, the driving um, philosophy I've had is every day is a new, no matter how rotten yesterday was, walk through the door and every day is a new opportunity to learn something new, um, to fail at something because failure is your friend. It is not your enemy. You, if you're not failing, you're not trying enough. And that's, that's the philosophy, walking in and then sitting down and looking at a list of things that, that we're planning to do and digging in. Um, you know, I'd never had um, a couple pieces of equipment in the laboratory that can measure the hardness of aluminum or steel. And I just landed three pieces of equipment that test the Rockwell or the hardness of aluminum and steel. And I had to learn how to use it. That took about a week. And it is amazing what you can learn when you have all these things. And I've probably got 10, 11 pieces of equipment, 12 now in the laboratory where we're constantly coming up with ways of destroying skateboard stuff 
and then measuring because because if you can measure it, you can make it better or stronger or last longer. So about 20 years ago, NHS decided to to hand me the keys and build a laboratory where we can measure stuff. One thing I'm I'm curious about in terms of pulling advice for for students based on your your career path is it's it's amazing that you've you've gone through this whole career and of course <clears throat> you have the perfect attitude obviously and you're you're aware it's helpful to to always be learning and that's one thing that I like to tell people the learning never stops you you're always learning if you want if you want to keep improving your life and so can you talk about how you were able to to pick up the knowledge that you needed um, especially in terms of going into into research and development uh, how did you pick up the the little vocabularies that you needed to understand in order to even learn to operate any of the these instruments that you use to make your measurements? How how over the over time did you accumulate all of all of this knowledge? You know, I started when I was 16, 17 years old. The world has changed. I, I've worked for this tiny company, uh, NHS, who just gave me the time and the freedom to do that. Not a lot of companies do that anymore. You know, they they want to they want you to have all the knowledge and hit the ground running, which is um it you know, it's tougher for people getting into the workplace right now because like yourself, you're going to go back to school and learn some um, polymer science. So, my experience it was put together, you know, one day at a time, um one week at a time. The world has changed a little bit. Now you can get so much knowledge on YouTube, I mean, almost anything. I went to YouTube to learn how to operate the Rockwell machines, and I, you know, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> so YouTube is an amazing thing where a lot of creative and very smart people share their knowledge on that. Before there was an internet, uh, around about nineteen, I'm going to say 1979. Um, I was lucky enough to be given the gift to meet a guy named to be introduced by. NHS, a guy named Andrew Marshall. And Andy, as we called him, um, was a consultant for us. And he um, he taught me how to make skateboard mold. He was the president of Hexel Ski Corporation. And he was just hired to help NHS, you know, take it to the next level. He was, he was in a retired phase. So he was just giving his knowledge and sharing it. And so he taught me how to make a skateboard mold, the first, very first skateboard that had a concave in it. Taught me a, a really quick way to do that. But Andy is also very famous for being, um, everyone's heard of honeycomb, you know, composite honeycomb. He's the father of honeycomb. He invented it. He promoted it. He got it going into aerospace. Um, he used it in skis. He used it in everything. And he started out as as his company called Hexel. And of course, Hexel is a huge corporation now. But Andy was near retirement. Eddie NHS said, here's this young guy named Tim, uh, help him out. And so for about a year, I was able to get what you would now get on YouTube. I was able to get face to face with this Andy Marshall. And he uh, he rewired my brain for sure. And so I, I guess you might say if there are people 
that you know, especially if you're coming into the workforce now, leaving high school or in high school, uh, and there's something you're passionate about, if you know people who are willing to share uh, their experiences, much like this radio show, listen to it, listen to it over again and do it again and seek out people willing to share. It's not a four-year degree, but I'll tell you, sometimes it's like a laser pointer to exactly where you want to go. All right. Do you have any bit of advice that you'd like to send our our students and, and young listeners off with? If you think math is boring, change the way you feel. It's the building block for everything you do. You know, if you're if you're a freshman in high school listening to this and you just you just either can't stand or don't get algebra or geometry, get help because it is literally the concrete foundation everything stands on. Do it. Or don't be an artist. We employ 12 artists um, knocking out. In fact, we probably more than 12 with the outside contractors. Somebody's got to do graphics and logos for skateboards and T-shirts and decals and web design. Don't do math. Get into art or learn how to drive a forklift or um, understand warehousing or learn how to be an accountant. There are so many things you can do besides just doing what I do in a field that you might love, which is skateboarding. So you don't like skateboarding. Maybe there's a different field you like. Just use what you're hearing now as a uh, format to do whatever you like to do. All I'm saying is there's there's more to NHS and Santa Cruz skateboards than the guy who designs and tests. If you want to be in the field, get in the field somehow. And that's, well, it's, it's seeking it out and talking to people who are in the business. Just chat them up or go to YouTube or listen to podcasts. Um, but be diligent. Don't be shy. Get that math background or the art background or the accounting background early on and understand that those skill sets can get you into a place that you love. Oh, and by the way, come into work, you know, about 15 minutes before your boss and leave about a half an hour afterwards and and ask for more job duties without any more pay. And you do that for about six months And I guarantee you, you will advance through a company and you will be the go-to guy for every boss you have until you become the boss yourself. All right. That's what Tim did. How's that for a piece of advice? That's excellent. Great way to end it. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tim, today. I I appreciate you being on and I've had a great conversation. I enjoyed this. Uh, It was nice to be here. And what you guys are doing is great for the future of all businesses. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and this is our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Tim Piamarta, the Director of Innovations at NHS Inc. Santa Cruz Skateboards. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM K-Squid Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays. Stream online at ksqd.org or visit our website, yfiob.org, for more ways to listen. Thank you and see you next time.